0: Well welcome everyone, my name is Ray Kolbacher, I'm the senior pastor here at Parkview, and uh, I'm glad you've joined us this evening. You know, this is uh, the first of five services, so I think you made a good choice in coming to this one. We're all awake and ready to go. Who knows what it's going to be like at 11 o'clock tonight, but uh, I'm glad that you're all here. Um, uh, you know, one of my responsibilities as, uh, as a pastor is to, uh, uh, especially on days uh, like this, is to be... Uh, well, interesting, um, compelling, you know, informative, and, and offer a skilled presentation of, uh, uh, of Christianity that hopefully you know, holds your attention to uh, the details of Christmas and encourages you guys to think. And so I'm going to do my, my best at make that, uh, making that a reality, but here's the flip side. Uh, I need you to be willing to, at least for a few minutes, uh, venture beyond holiday trivialities and consider you know, why we're here what it is we're doing, and what it is we're actually saying about the significance um, of Christmas. Because in many ways, Christmas is nothing if it's not first rational. It doesn't, if it doesn't engage your mind, if it doesn't make you think, then really, what is it? So think about this for a moment. 700 years before Jesus was, was born, an ancient prophet named Micah predicted the coming of a Messiah, a rescuer, a savior... Uh, going so far as to identify uh, where this Savior would be born, what he would be like, what he would do, and with heroic-type language, Micah describes him this way by saying, "'But you, O Bethlehem, though you are small, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over all Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength and majesty of the Lord. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace.'" I'm wondering today if any of you have seen the the movie Thor. Has any Has anyone seen this movie? Came okay, a couple people. It came out last month, and. and for those of you who haven't seen it, Thor is uh, essentially Marvel Comics' version of Norse mythology. It's about a, a warrior deity, a divine superhero, if you will, who comes to Earth to save the world by doing battle with a shadowy evil enemy set on destroying it. And so far, just over a few weeks, it's grossed over $600 million. Uh, has anyone had a chance to see The Hobbit yet? I think it just came out like last week. Some of you have seen The Hobbit. The Hobbit was written by J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, and it too is a heroic narrative in which good and evil collide uh, and where the inhabitants of Middle Earth long to be rescued Uh, from the great dragon and uh, for the true warrior king to emerge and establish his rightful empire. And today, more than 75 years after Tolkien uh, wrote the the novel, The Hobbit continues to capture the imagination and interest of millions of readers and moviegoers alike. And part of the reason for that is I think Tolkien was a professor of Anglo-Saxon mythology. And his writing artfully touches on the greatest themes uh, of our human experience. Glory, honor, love, the willing sacrifice of warrior kings and brave rescuers. And so uh, whether we're talking about Thor in Marvel Comics or The Hobbit with Tolkien, it's interesting to me how these kind of epic tales are so popular. Uh, as human beings, we seem irresistibly drawn to and captive, captivated by you know, the storyline of heroic courage. Uh, there's just something about uh, a supernatural rescuer that resonates with us. Uh, themes of good versus evil, morality and immorality, God and humanity, love and sacrifice. for whatever reasons these themes speak to all of us. Um, coincidence, maybe. But then again, maybe it signifies much more. I mean, perhaps there's something in our collective memories, something deep within our our very humanness, something ingrained in our minds and our hearts and our spirits that tell us this hero narrative is more than just myth or fiction. It's more than something we like. It's something we need. It's something we want. It's something we're looking for, longing for, hoping for. A divine protagonist, a true champion, an unlikely hero to supernaturally come and put aside personal dreams, aspirations, and with great humility, courage, love, and self-rescue, self-sacrifice, rescue us from evil and, and destruction. Well, you guys realize that Christmas is all about the hero narrative, right? It is. I mean, if you think of Micah, he predicted the birth of a savior who would come and be humanity's rescuer and ruler. And not just a mere mortal, but one whose origins, he says, were from old, eternal in nature. In other words, deity in the flesh, whose greatness would reach to the ends of the earth and bring peace and immortality. And as I've been thinking more and more about it, what I've concluded is that Micah's ancient prediction, at the very least, speaks to two key aspects of the Christmas narrative, the Christmas super, uh, supernatural hero narrative. First, Micah tells us that Christmas isn't, isn't a matter of fiction or mythology, but a matter of history and how this immortal rescuer would actually enter time and space as we know it. Uh, he'd be born to a woman, uh, not, not on Mount Olympus or in Atlantis or Gotham City or Smallville, but in an actual location just outside Jerusalem, Bethlehem, a real place. In the first century, it was a small town of about 500 to 1,000 working class men and women. Shepherds lived on the surrounding hillsides. Farmers in the region grew wheat, barley, and oats. They'd take their grain to millers in town who'd grind it and then deliver the flour to bakers who'd make bread, which was then taken to Jerusalem and sold in the marketplace. In fact, Bethlehem was known for its bread production. The Hebrew term Bethlehem literally means house of bread. And it was there that Jesus was born, fulfilling the ancient prophet's prediction. Born to a woman named Mary, engaged to a guy named Joseph whose family came from Bethlehem. Real people in a real place at a real time in history. From there, Jesus drew, uh, grew up Jewish. Sometimes we forget that and we allow our, our Western imaginations to sort of cast him into a 21st century you know, <laughs> Caucasian hipster, uh, which is unfortunate because when we do that, we diminish the cultural richness and context of his life. Because in many ways, Jesus was ordinary. Born in a little town to a Jewish family, given a common Hebrew name that means the Lord saves, dedicated in the temple, circumcised and educated like other Hebrew boys. He learned a trade, he followed Jewish customs, he participated in religious activities, and was subject to, uh, to the Ten Commandments and religious law like everybody else. But here's where Jesus was not so ordinary. Because when, as flawed human beings, everyone else failed to keep the law perfectly, Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. He was perfectly good, living the life we could never live, growing up doing things we could never do, things people could not explain, strange, supernatural things, witnessed and experienced by thousands of of people, miracles in the truest sense uh, that could only be attributed to God himself. Jesus went on to say things, and he taught things that ordinary, honest, Rational people would never think of saying, he talked of judgment, forgiving sins, the prerogatives of God alone. He once said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you knew me, you'd know my Father as well. And these were just some of Jesus' radical and exclusive claims, not only to being deity in the flesh, but being the only way to eternal life and it was it was these kind of claims that infuriated the religious experts of the day but engaged the masses of people people who were just worn out uh, by religious legalism and although his teaching was radical so was his love for people young old rich poor sick healthy popular marginalized men women jew gentile greek roman it made no difference Jesus' birth, his life, his teaching, his ministry, and his love was heroic. It was historic, and it changed the world forever. Now, every every now and then, someone will come along and suggest that Jesus is just the figment of religious imagination. And the problem that suggestion faces is not only this, the record of scripture uh, and the witness of first century Christian writers, but the historical accounts of unbiased secular sources. And there was a program Uh, Just last week on the National Geographic channel about this, Uh, for example, uh, Flavius Josephus was a Jewish man by birth, a Roman historian by choice. His writings are considered to be, among scholars, the best for understanding life in the ancient Near East. And in his classic work, Antiquities, which is a history of the Jewish people, he writes about the early first century and he says, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. He was one who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher who won over many Jews and Greeks. Upon hearing him accused by men among us, Pilate condemned him to be crucified. Those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. The tribe of Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared." Another Roman historian in the first century named Cornelius Tacitus in 115 AD wrote, Nero inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a hated class of people called Christians. Christus, or Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered extreme penalty at the hands of Pontius Pilate. Pliny the Younger was a governor in northern Turkey in 111 AD. He confirmed the spread of Christianity to the region and writes the emperor Trajan about how these Christians refused to recant their beliefs. He said they honor Christ as if a god and commit to abstain from theft, robbery, adultery, and criminal purposes. A Samaritan writer named Thallus in 52 AD, a Greek author named Phlegon in 137 AD, both write about Jesus. In a Jewish document called the Mishnah, which is a record of Jewish oral tradition from the first century, refers to Jesus as one who claimed to be the Messiah and who practiced some sort of magic and was condemned to death. It mentions his mother Mary and how there was something unusual about her son's birth. So long story short, Jesus' life is attested to in ancient, unbiased, secular writings, Jewish, Roman, and Greek. And at a bare minimum, they inform us that Jesus was a wise Jewish teacher, had a mother named Mary. He performed miraculous feats of some sort or another. He was called Messiah. He was rejected by Jewish leaders, crucified by Pilate, and despite a shameful death, His followers claimed and believed he was resurrected to life and a great number of them were living in Rome by 64 AD and worshiped Jesus as God and committed to living as good citizens. And you know what? That's a lot of information. Here's my point. The Christmas narrative is a matter of history, which is why the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem is called good news. News, by definition, is a report on what's been done. It demands we recognize that something has indeed happened and it prompts us to respond to that reality in one way or another. And so the Christmas narrative is not just a matter of history, but a matter of doctrine, of what we believe about Jesus. You know, one of the reasons we are today in our culture are afraid to talk about doctrine is because it distinguishes us from others. On one hand, we have religions that say God is so imminent that incarnation, deity in the flesh, is normal. For example, um, Buddhism, Hinduism see the divine in everything. On the other hand, there are religions like Judaism and Islam that say God say that God is so transcendent that incarnation is impossible. But Christianity is unique. It doesn't say incarnation is normal. It doesn't say it's impossible. Christianity says God is so imminent, anything is possible. And he is so transcendent that if he arrives in the flesh on earth, it is going to be a paradigm-shattering, life-transforming, history-altering event. But tonight, some, some people will say, look, when it comes to Christmas, it really doesn't matter You know what you believe as long as you, your heart is right. And i got to be honest, I don't really know what that means. To me, to me, it seems silly. It's like saying it doesn't matter what I eat as long as I'm healthy. And yet, you know, those two are dependent on each other, right? Health is a, a function of what you eat. Those, those things can't be abstracted from each other. And in the same way, where you are in your relationship to God is a function of belief. And so if someone says, look, I like, I like Jesus and his teaching about love and humility and honesty and generosity and all that, but it, it doesn't matter if these things happen or not. Doctrine doesn't matter. What matters is that you're a good person. That, what, that's what matters to God. But see, that in and of itself is a doctrinal assertion. That is a stated belief in one's own ability to be loving enough, humble enough, honest enough, generous enough, good enough to in some way impress God and convince him to love you and accept you. Look, if Christmas is just a fairy tale, or if Jesus' teaching simply represents a collection of moral anecdotes intended to motivate us to goodness, for me that's a crushing deal because I'm not that good. And I never will be. Plus, think about it. If the Christmas narrative is just an ancient tale intended to advise us and inspire us to human achievement, what is it ex- suggesting we do exactly? Be, be astronomers, uh, shepherds, birth our kids in barns, wrap infants in swaddling clothes, whatever those are, and use feeding troughs for cribs, bring frankincense to each other for, for Christmas? I mean, seriously, what, what, what is it teaching us And maybe it's just me, but if Christmas is some once upon a time fable, what does it mean? What's its significance? And how on earth could a fable change the course of human history? But it's not a fable. Christmas is good news. In terms of history, Jesus was born. It's good news in in terms of doctrine and how out of love, deity came to save humanity, to save us from sin, to save us from ourselves. And we are rescued by grace and granted life through faith in what Jesus has done. For he paid the penalty for our rebellion. He lived the life we could never live. He died the death we deserve to die. So that God can justify uh, and and receive you and me. Not not because of our religious rituals or because of our rule keeping or attempts at moral performance. But because Jesus has lovingly, graciously, heroically done for us what we could never do for ourselves. You guys understand that? Look, globally speaking, religious belief is on the rise. Uh, Over 90% of Americans today believe in God. In fact, Michael Shermer, the founder of the Skeptics Society, says, never in history has more of the uh, population believed in God. Not only is God not dead, as Nietzsche proclaimed, but he is very much alive. And so I'm assuming most of us believe in God, who are here tonight, whether you're from a Jewish background or a Presbyterian background, Roman Catholic, Buddhist, Baptist, Lutheran, Greek Orthodox, Methodist, I mean whatever background you're from or if you have no religious affiliation whatsoever, never have, here's the good news. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because Christmas at its very core is not about ecclesiastical affiliations, traditions, or denominations. It's about Jesus. And with him, it's always been about relationship, not religion, about grace, not guilt. And if you understand that, and if you believe that, then all the other stuff eventually falls into place. All the other things Christianity says about right and wrong, good and bad, healthy and unhealthy makes sense. But if it's not true, then it's all just nonsense. And if you reject it, fine. But in my opinion, it's equally nonsensical to celebrate something you really don't believe. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite all-time authors. Uh, He was a brilliant thinker. He was a poet, prolific writer. Many of you know him from Lion, Witch, and a Wardrobe. Uh, He was a, a philosopher. He was an avowed atheist, a turned Christian later in life. He was a professor of English at Oxford University, an expert on Norse and Greek mythology. And he loved epic poetry. You know, lengthy narratives that told of heroes and detailed their valiant deeds that impacted people and cultures and nations. But according to Lewis... There was and is no hero narrative more real, more profound or meaningful to us as human beings as the Christ narrative. Not because it's mythology, but because it's reality, because it's true. In his book, Mere Christianity, Lewis summarizes it this way. He says, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of of God. And then he goes on, he he says it's such a profound and and revolutionary a thought. The poetry of of it, the utter genius of it, could only come from God himself, who is beyond us. When writing about the birth of Jesus, Lewis referred to the event as the grand miracle. He says the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this. It was the central event in the history of the earth, the very thing the whole story has been about. When writing about Jesus, author, poet, Dorothy Sayers, in an essay entitled, The Greatest Drama Ever Staged, states, God can ask nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself, He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. The incarnation is the most dramatic thing that ever entered into the history and mind of man. Writer, poet, literary critic, GK Chesterton. Chesterton once wrote, I am only given an account of my own growth in spiritual certainty, but I may pause to remark that the more I saw of the moral arguments against the Christian cosmology, the less I thought the less I thought of them. Having found the moral atmosphere of the incarnation to be common sense, I looked at established intellectual arguments against the incarnation and found them to be common nonsense. And J. R. Tolkien himself. Uh, a follower of Jesus said the incarnation of God is an infinitely greater thing than anything i would dare write the story is supreme and it is true and for me the simple words of novelist and poet george macdonald summarizes it nicely he wrote they were all looking for a king to slay their foes and lift the high though camest a little baby thing that made a woman cry understand you don't have to be a a literary genius or expert to know that there is no stopping it. Christmas is just about here. And as always, even in the midst of all the consumer chaos and holiday festivities, it ultimately brings us to a a place of personal reflection because it is a matter of history. It is a matter of doctrine. It's intended to make us think. It's intended to remind us of the greatest hero narrative of all time, an unfolding narrative, uh, a story we're all part of, and down deep inside sense to be true. We are the frail and flawed human recipients of supernatural love, grace, goodness, sacrifice, and rescue delivered from evil and destruction by the heroic act of God himself, who came to us, who came for us, who offers peace and immortality to those who believe. The hero is Jesus, the child of Bethlehem, the Christ, the rescuer, the savior. And tonight, we remember and worship him. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to take a moment from the busyness of the holiday season and the kind of the cultural chaos of it all to come together, uh, to slow ourselves down, even if for a little while, um, to engage our minds and to think about what it is we're doing, why we're doing it, what it is that we believe about Christmas. And I pray that each of us, uh, in our own minds and hearts, would just take the next few moments to determine that. Is Jesus who he says he is, son of God, savior, rescuer, or not? But that is the core message of Christmas, that God came for us, he came to us asks nothing of us in terms of works or efforts, but graciously offers us life. We who believe. And tonight we we recognize that gift of grace that comes in Jesus and we celebrate it. In his name we pray, amen. I want to thank you for joining us for this Christmas Eve and, and hopefully Uh, You go tonight knowing what Christmas is really about, and you'll be able to celebrate it and enjoy the the holiday even more so than ever before. It's about Jesus. It's about the grace of God. And uh, I I appreciate you being with us. And um, have a merry, merry Christmas. We're going to blow our candles out. We'll be done. And then we have some receptacles in the back. You can drop them in. But thanks for being here. Have a very merry Christmas, everybody.